of you remember the five notes? Could you hum them right now? Could somebody? Da, na, 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 na. Something like that, right? Yeah, and, and I haven't seen it, but it, it's all about having this, you know, these close encounters with these alien beings. And, and this week, we really did have some close encounters, thankfully not with alien beings, but we had close encounters with, with Jesus and close encounters with, with one another. And it, it got me thinking a little bit about some of the close encounters that I've had with people in my life and how significant and important these have been. And just some of the, the people who, have, who I've met, that, that I've connected with, that have been so significant and important in my life. I remember when I was just a junior higher and I met um, this guy. We moved into this new town, my family, and, and this youth pastor from a local church came and met me and visited our family that day. And little did I know that over the next five years or so, this guy named Mark Bernhardt would become my, my friend, my mentor. Uh, we spent uh, so much time together and how he would invest and pour his life into me and help shape me into the kind of guy that I, I became. Um, I remember another guy named Dana Wally, and some of you know Dana, but when I was a senior in high school, I was debating where to go to college, and my sister was already a student at Point Loma Nazarene University, and she kind of thought that was the place for me. She was, and so she introduced me to this guy, Dana, who worked at Point Loma. And she just kind of figured that having a conversation with Dana would seal the deal. And in fact, I thought Dana was going to try to like woo me. You know, oh, you need to come. We need you at Point Loma. He kind of flipped the tables and he said, you need Point Loma. And you need to come and be challenged. And whatever he said, however the Lord led him. And then through our years there together and subsequently, when I first came here to Pastor Dana was the first guy invited to come and, and speak to our congregation. Uh, super guys. I, I remember another guy, another meeting, not a chance encounter, but a close encounter. I had a guy with a name, by the name of Roger Bowman. Some of you guys remember a guy named Roger Bowman. He was the district superintendent of the Los Angeles District Church of the Nazarene. And what that means is he was, when the former pastor of this church resigned, he was kind of the main one responsible for bringing a new pastor to this church. And uh, I had kind of put, I was just graduating from seminary and I was kind of hoping maybe the seminary was in Kansas City and so I was kind of hoping to come back towards California. And uh, I hadn't met Dr. Bowman at that point, but I got, you know, kind of connected with him a little bit. Was one of the persons being considered by this church. And I ended up being the number two choice. Oh, um, but, but so the doors seemed to be closing and I didn't hear from Dr. Bowman for a while and so I figured that was that and we we're kind of moving on. But then I went to this thing called uh, General Assembly, which happens every four years for the Church of the Nazarene. A bunch of Nazarenes get together and it's, it's usually a pretty fun time. But I, I got there and a friend of mine said, hey, Dr. Bowman is looking for you. And I said, Okay. I'll look for him too. And we went a couple days and never saw him. And then, and then at one moment, we were kind of walking through this, this little arena place. And, and I knew what he looked like, but I hadn't met him. And we just kind of came face to face. And he said, James. And I said, Dr. Bowman. And I'll never forget the words that he said at the next moment. He said, there's been a change in Santa Barbara. And I said, okay. And the next week, Kyla and I were out here to interview with the church board and to meet the church. And because of that meeting, that encounter, uh, my life has been drastically changed and altered. And I, I think about that. I don't know if you, maybe you think about some of those close encounters, some of those meetings that you've had with, with folks along your journey that have 
that have dramatically altered kind of the course, the direction of your life, and, and how maybe you, you didn't anticipate this, or it wasn't even something you could have contrived or manipulated, but there was this meeting, here was this occasion, this, this encounter, and suddenly your life is moving in, in new directions. And, and that was definitely the case for me in, in this situation. Um, even yesterday, uh, we were at Daryl Caswell's memorial service, and many of you were able to be there. A wonderful celebration of this great man's life. But as we were speaking with the family, even afterwards, Kylo was talking with Patrick Caswell, and, um, and you know, they knew that we'd been involved with VBS this week, and Patrick even mentioned to Kyla that it was their son, Matthew, who we really first kind of got to know through Jason Stevens, and he came to VBS. This is like 12 years ago, and this is kind of the way that we got connected with their family. And Kyle and I just began to kind of walk down memory lane a little bit, just thinking, wow, because of that connection through Vacation Bible School, now look how that's brought us to this place where we're so in love with this family and what a great connection we have and, and how God uses all these circumstances um, to bring us to these places. So you just never know how these connections will go. Well, what we've been learning all week is that we can meet people in the world that will have an impact on us when we meet, um, but there is one that is not of this world that will have an impact on us when we meet him as well. We've been talking about the possibility of meeting this Jesus and, and Mars, meet a risen Savior. And, and we've been thinking about the significance of of meeting this person. And the risen part is very, very significant. And it's really kind of what I want to hone on, hone in on here for these moments. The risen part of that statement. Meet a risen Savior. Because this is really what sets the Christian faith apart from all other world religions or belief systems or structures of our world. The Bible teaches, and I know many of you are aware of this, but the Bible teaches that unlike other religious leaders or or figures throughout history, the leader of this Christian movement, Jesus Christ, is even today alive and and well and, and active. Now... I know, I know the story. I know he, he died, and, and yes, we, we think that death was very significant. And what happened there on the cross, we believe, provides for the forgiveness of our sins. We believe that he was buried indeed. But we believe as Christians in the Christian faith that, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that he, he became alive. That the Bible tells us about people that he showed himself to, that that he revealed himself to alive, and that he ascended into heaven, the Bible tells us, and that he went to the right hand of the Father from where he still lives and reigns. I know that's just kind of a, a brief synopsis of it all, but it's very significant for us today because of uh, one particular implication. There are lots of implications, and we, we're not going to take time to look at any of them except for one today, and it's this simple implication that because he is alive, we each have the opportunity to meet him and to know him personally. 
I, I know that there's a lot of folks in our world when they think about Jesus, they find themselves in one or one of two categories, perhaps. The, the first that I think of with people in our world are they're kind of fact finders about Jesus. These are the folks, and maybe you're one of them that you like to watch, you know, the History Channel, or you kind of like to read historical kind of, you know, nonfiction and kind of get, or fiction and kind of get these, these facts and just gather information about who Jesus was and kind of, you know, you're maybe in this intellectual pursuit and trying to understand how it all works and how Jesus, uh, you know, who he was and what he did and all these, we're just gathering information and, and learning about Jesus and, and, and again, acquiring all the data that we can possibly acquire about him. Other folks maybe fall into another category, and that's what we may call a fan of Jesus. Uh, these are the folks who, you know, we, we like to cheer for him or think about, kind of like maybe we're a fan of a celebrity or a fan of a famous athlete or, you know, I, we, don't really, we don't really know these people, you know, they're just kind of out there. We, we feel like we do, you know, we're really tight, but as my friend used to say, you know, this is us over here. We're not really tight with them at all. They're, we're just fans of, uh, of these folks. And, and I think a lot of people are like that with Jesus. We're really impressed. Really nice what, he, what you did. Yay, Jesus. Good job. But it uh, doesn't really go much further than that. Well, what the Bible teaches us again is that we don't have to just settle for being fact finders or fans of Jesus, but that we can be followers. We can be people who are personally known by Jesus and who personally know Jesus in a very powerful way. We've been hearing these stories from the book of Acts all week at Vacation Bible School. The book of Acts, if you're not familiar, it's the um, fifth book in the New Testament. We have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. i just telling this to you in case you get interviewed by Jay Leno on the street sometime and he asks you what the four Gospels are. Love for you to be able to know the answer to that question. <laughs> it's not Joe, Bob, Billy, and Ricky. No, it's Matthew, say it with me, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look, if you get nothing else out of being here this morning, you're ready for Jay. Um, but the next book, all, all four of those Gospels talk about the story of Jesus. They, they paint a picture of the ministry of of Jesus and how he, what he did and how he lived and how he operated in the world. And then the very next book is the book of Acts. And, and this is a story that after the first chapter when Jesus is recorded as ascending into heaven, we see for the next rest of the book these the stories of how then the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, how then they lived out being the church in these very earliest days without Jesus at the helm, at least physically. And so it's just really story after story that we heard many of them this week with the, with the kids that, that are so significant in helping to give shape to who we're to be as followers of Jesus. But, but probably the central figure in the book of Acts is a guy named Paul. And you heard about him this morning, some of these kids. That he was originally Saul, and, and he was a pretty bad guy. And, and again, many of you know about him, but probably the central figure and the central story in all of the book of Acts, most likely, if you, there's lots of very important ones, but, but probably the most important is this story of how Saul 
was confronted and met the risen Savior and, and the difference that that began to make in his life. So I want to just read it for you this morning. I want you to kind of follow along. It'll be up on the screen. It's very interesting because this particular story is told. The reason why I know that it's perhaps the most significant story in the book of Acts is that it's told three different times in one book in the Bible. This same story is repeated three different times. Acts chapter 9, I think it is, and 22, and we're going to read the one from chapter 26. Paul has been brought before some government leaders. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. If not, again, it'll be right up on the screen here for you to follow along. But he's been brought before some government leaders. And uh, in great fashion, we actually read the end of this story last week. But in great fashion, Paul does not stay silent. He takes this opportunity, as he's been brought before these government leaders, to share the story of what has happened to him in terms of his encounter with Jesus Christ. Would you just stand with me? This is just a pretty brief story. I just want to read it and then draw out just a couple of ideas and then we'll be done. But follow along on the screen, if you will. It's Acts chapter 26, beginning at verse 9 and going to verse 19. And at the end, I just like to say, this is the word of the Lord and have you respond by saying, thanks be to God. So that's all you have to remember. Thanks be to God. But follow along as I read. This is Paul talking now. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. When they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, back to Paul now, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Um, again, lots happening here, but a couple of ideas just kind of popped out to me as I read this that I think are important for us to notice. If we kind of take Paul's experience here with Jesus to be normative for us, maybe not in style. I haven't had any flashing lights coming at me lately, but maybe not in style, but in substance at least. And I think there's, again, some things that we can really 
draw from and, and learn from as we think about this story for ourselves this morning. And the first one is simply this, that we can, we can see that, that, um, that, that it's normally in the, in, the, in the typical or ordinary events of everyday life that Jesus comes to meet us. Not to say that Paul's events or activities in this day were normal or ordinary. I mean, he was, you read about him, he was doing everything he possibly could to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So he, he was going, he was going for it here. I mean, he's going against as hardly, as hard as he could. He was going out seeking after, I mean, Christians to persecute them. He was signing their death warrants. He was, he was voting for, for their, their, their executions. I mean, he was, he was doing everything he could to, to go against the Christians. But, but for Paul, Saul at this point, this was, this was normal everyday activity. I mean, this was his passion. This is what he was wrapped up in. This, was he, this is what he was doing. And it was right into the midst of that, I'm struck. It, it wasn't when Paul finally came to a church service necessarily. It wasn't when Saul finally kind of got himself shaped up or it wasn't even kind of in the quiet moment of his solitude. It was when he was on the way to another city to do more of what he normally did, that Jesus met with him and confronted him. And I think there's something for us to grab onto here. Because for us, maybe it's not persecuting Christians, but for us, maybe it's just trying to be a good parent. Or for maybe, for us, some of us, it's just trying to run a business. Or some of us, it's just trying to make it through the next day or, 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 or getting our education or something to this effect, some normal activity of our life. Paul's story shows us is that whatever the normal circumstance or daily routine of our lives, Jesus wants to and can break through that and break through in such a way that we meet him and can encounter him. Maybe Paul's experience won't be normative in terms of style. Maybe we won't hear a voice from the Lord booming down. Maybe we won't be blinded by a bright light, but I'm just of the thinking that if we'll have ears to hear, a heart that's open, that at some level we'll begin to hear Jesus saying maybe some things like this. Why, why are you trying that without me? Wouldn't you like to have me be a part of that with you? I'd sure love to come alongside you. I'd sure love to meet with you and help you in the process of the life that you're living won't you make room for me? Paul's story, we have this really strange saying where Jesus says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And that is actually not in the other two accounts of this story. And I kind of know why, because no one really knows what it means. But it's kind of this agricultural phrase that basically most interpreters begin, are beginning to think that, that Jesus is basically saying to Paul, you know, in the end, this is what you really need. You really need me. You really need to live in relationship with me. You, you really do need to meet me, and your life will be transformed and moving in new directions. And so it's hard for you to keep resisting. It's hard for you to keep fighting. It's hard for you to keep going in new directions. Why don't you turn and put your faith and your trust in me? And maybe some of us are like that as well. Jesus is trying to break through, trying to meet with us, trying to connect with us in a new and a fresh and a very personal and intimate way, and yet we keep putting up barriers, keep putting up blocks, 
We keep maybe ignoring or avoiding or trying to move in different directions and pushing him away. And while the phrase might not make any sense to us on a literal level, it's hard for us to keep kicking against the goads. Jesus is inviting us in the midst of our ordinary living to enter into this relationship, to meet him in a very personal way. If that's the case, we also see from this story that when Jesus meets with someone, when Jesus encounters someone, and when we encounter Jesus, it's always with a purpose in mind. Jesus always has something, kind of like Dr. Bowman with me. Hi, James. That would have been so disappointing if I had met him on that arena floor and he'd have said, James, it's me, Dr. Bowman, you know, L.A. District, Santa Barbara. We'll see you later. <laughs> Hope things turn out for you. Now, I mean, how, how wonderful that in that meeting there was a purpose behind the meeting. And, and with Jesus, it's always the same. I mean, it's not like he has ulterior motives, but in meeting us, he has a desire for our lives. It's not simply just to kind of pass on the back and say, you know, good luck, nice meeting you, go get them. But instead to, for Paul, it was to appoint him, really. It was to appoint him to, to serve and to be a witness, as we read there. He was, he was meeting him and saving him, in a sense, to, to be able to send him into ministry in the world. And that's why, really, this event is so significant to the book of Acts. Because it was the Apostle Paul who would go, we go on to find out in this book and in subsequent letters in the New Testament who would take the message and the gospel of Jesus to pretty much the known world at that time. It was the Apostle Paul who would receive in this meeting with Jesus a great commissioning, a great sending. And I just kind of have that confidence, that sense that when, when we open ourselves, when we say, yeah, Jesus, I'm open to meeting with you. I'm, I'm open to encountering you. That when he encounters us, when he meets us in a, not just in a fan sort of way or a fact-finding kind of way, but in a very personal, intimate kind of a way, he has a plan for our lives. He has a purpose for us. And it's, I hope, can be a wonderfully comforting and encouraging thing to you to know that, that as we, if, if we step into this deep, interpersonal relationship with Jesus and meeting him in such a way, that, that he's got our very best interest in mind. Now, let me be very clear. That very best interest that he has in mind might not be what we think is our very best interest. In fact, it often will you know, kind of collide and, and, and we'll have to learn trust and obedience. But we can confidently trust that just as he had the very best in mind for the Apostle Paul, and was able to use him in ways that went far beyond what Saul could have ever accomplished on his own. So Jesus has plans and purposes for us. And the ability to use us in ways that go far beyond our own imagination. He just kind of has his eye on us. Whether you've known him for a long time, I think, or whether you're just kind of even exploring the idea, or whether it's just a brand new concept to you, I just kind of have this confidence that Jesus has got his eye on us. And even now, he's saying, man, I'd really like to meet that guy. I'd really like to meet that gal. I'd really like to get to know them in such a way that, that we could begin to explore life together and, and discover all that I have in mind for them. No doubt Jesus wants to do that with each of us here today. The last thought that I just pick up here 
from this little story is I think maybe the one that strikes me the most and, and uh, is perhaps my favorite. And that's kind of why I extended the reading past where Jesus had spoken to verse 19 because it's here where Paul again says, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this vision from heaven. In other words, King Agrippa, I, was, I met Jesus, I was confronted by him, I had this amazing experience, and when I did, I did not mess around. I was not disobedient to it, but I was confronted in such a way this, this personal, this depth of connection with Jesus in those moments was such that I, I could not do anything but respond with great obedience. I was not disobedient to the vision that I received. I have the idea, again, I've shared this kind of this thought with some of you before, but this, this idea that perhaps some of us have kind of been immunized to the Christian faith. We've kind of you know, my kids are way past this now, but there was a time when we had to take them, you know, to get their vaccinations, right? Their immunization shots. And, and I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I, you know, don't have that medical training at all. But, but my understanding of this is that a, a vaccination or an immunization is, is such that, that they give them just, just a little bit of the virus, a little bit of the disease in a sense, just, just enough so that their bodies, so that our bodies can build up this immunity to it so that we won't catch the full disease. So we won't get the full impact of that disease. Now this is wonderful when you start talking about things like polio or smallpox or some of the other things that we're vaccinated for or immunized against. This is, this is terribly tragic when we talk about it in terms of the Christian faith. Because I think it goes a little bit, maybe something like this. Some of us went to you know, church when we were kids, and maybe we had a bad experience, maybe we went to a Christian school, or we had some sort of a, an upbringing that just wasn't all that healthy. We got a little bit of the Christian faith, but really the little bit we got was just enough to let us know and to keep us from getting the full impact. And I just wonder how many of us even in this room and how many people across our nation, across our world, are walking around and they've been vaccinated. They've been immunized against the Christian faith because we got a little bit, or maybe we saw some Christians when we were younger, or, or even recently we saw some Christians and, and they weren't quite acting like the way that we thought Christians ought to act or the way that we've heard that they should act anyway. And, and we saw them and we thought to ourselves, well, that's a little bit of the Christianity I'm getting. If that's what it means to be a Christian, then sure don't want that. Why would I want that? And, and we've walked around and we've kind of stepped into this, this world of immunity, if you will, against the Christian faith. Well, I love what Paul says here again, because um, uh, here's, here's a man who says, you know, when I met Jesus, there's no turning back. And, and I, you know, I, got, I didn't just get a little bit, I, I got a whole lot. And, and he had, you know, he had, but he had been around the Christian movement. He had been watching it. He had been persecuting against it, right? But it's in this moment when he met Jesus that all those vaccinations against this faith were broken down. It's in this moment when he met personally the risen Lord Jesus 
and establish this intimate personal connection, not a fact finder anymore, not just a fan, but a true intimate personal connection that he began to to follow enthusiastically and and to go way beyond even just the minimal effort. And that's the other thing. I I think that there's a lot of Christians, and maybe you're one of them today, that's just kind of living by the lowest common denominator. Again, I'm not a great mathematician, but I think that means, you know, let's get it down to the lowest. What's the least we can do, you know, to make this work? And I think there's a lot of Christians that are just kind of going, what's the, okay, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. I've punched my ticket for heaven. Now what's the least I can do? What's the, what's the least I can kind of get away with and still maintain that, that, uh, that ticket to heaven? And Paul just refutes that uh, just right across the board and, and in this example as he's confronted and meets Jesus in a personal and powerful way and says, I was not disobedient, moving now enthusiastically into a life of following after Jesus. When we really meet Jesus, there's no turning back. Well, I was... Um, you know, I told you about some of my meetings with who Mark and Dana and Dr. Bowman, some of these three that just kind of poured into my life. There's so many more. But uh, I, I just want to take a minute, and I really won't take long at this point because there's not a whole lot to say, but I just want to tell you that it was, it, was when I was, it was when I was 12 years old, really, like in sixth grade or so, that, uh, that I really personally met the person who made the greatest impact in my life and has continued to make that impact in my life throughout the years. I was raised in a, in a Christian home. My dad is a pastor. That makes my mom a pastor's wife. They're interesting people. They're wonderful people. We was raised in this Christian home. I went to church from the day, probably the first Sunday I was alive, I was probably there. Um, but but I'd have to say for the first 12 years of my life, I mean, I was a... I was a fact finder. I was just gathering information. I was kind of learning stories, maybe like a lot of these kids were this week. And I was, I was a fan. I mean, I'm sure I was singing the songs and doing the motions and cheering loud and doing the countdown and all that kind of stuff. I was cheering on Jesus, but I didn't really necessarily kind of grasp all of that. Now, many kids do at a younger age. And many of these kids up here, even this week, invited Jesus to come into their life, into their heart. And they, they met Jesus in a very beautiful and powerful way, but I'll remember, for me, it was when I was about 12 years old, I was at this service, and this guy was preaching, I don't remember really what he was preaching much about, except for the fact that at the end of, the, of his preaching, he said, maybe some of you would like to meet Jesus, and I just never had this happen before, but my heart just began to thump and bump and beat like it was going to come out of my chest, and I just had this sense that this was a moment, this was a time when I had the opportunity to meet Jesus. Now, thankfully, it wasn't the only time I've ever met Jesus. He's, he's walked with me, and I've had the opportunity to walk with him throughout the years, and I can think of several occasions since then when I've met him in a new and a fresh way, and where the reality of his presence, the reality of his life has sunk deeper into who I am. And for that, I am very thankful. And if I think my close encounter with Dr. Bowman on the arena floor at World General Assembly was a significant one in terms of the life direction of me and my family, then can I just say, (laughs) the 
change in direction for my life over the last nearly 30 years because of this close encounter that I have with Jesus. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling. I'm not even going to go there. But uh, suffice it to say, because of this meeting, everything is new. Everything is different. And it's as I continue to walk with him and meet with him that that will be sustained and new adventures and new explorations with Jesus will continue every day. Will something happen again with, um, with these kids this week? Something happened in my life. And just the last thought I'll leave with you is just simply this, is that, again, this Jesus guy, he's just, he's just completely different, completely new, completely other than anything that this world knows or has to offer. And, and there's this thought, you know, in, in a lot of religious systems or structures of this, this idea of, you know, kind of man's search for God. And, and we're all on this quest to, d- to discover who God is and, and find God, you know, on this, on this journey, on this quest to find God. Well, the beautiful thing about meeting Jesus is that we don't have to search for him. We don't have to grovel. We don't have to go on some incredibly uh, twisted journey to try and discover where he is. The beautiful truth and, and confidence that we have in the Christian faith is that, is that Jesus is searching for us. It's not a matter of man searching for God, but of God searching for humanity. So much so that God sent his son Jesus, who awaits us and anticipates meeting with us and looking forward to living a life with us. So, Let's stand together if we can, where we are. I want to just pray for us. I hope if your kids were at VBS this week that they'll keep singing these songs. You'll keep playing them. I know many of you have been listening to them for a month or more, and they're deeply ingrained. But uh, I, I pray that every time you listen to the songs that you just kind of have this sense, hey, we are. We are on this journey to meet a risen Savior, and he's waiting for us even now. Not fact finders, not fans, but followers, deeply personal. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that, that you, want, you want nothing more than, than to have a, a personal, intimate relationship with each one of us. That's our confidence today, and that's our hope. And, and even as we, we say those words and we think about that thought, it's a little bit it's a little bit uh, difficult for us perhaps to get our, our brains around, perhaps even our hearts around. And yet that's what your word, the Bible tells us over and over and over. You love us. You care deeply for us. And uh, some of us here, are, have, we've been gathering information maybe for our whole lives or we're kind of on a fact-finding mission. Perhaps we've just kind of set up barriers or blockades and we're kind of keeping you at arm's distance, kicking against the goads. Perhaps um, others of us are fans. We're, we're very aware of who you are and very thankful for what you've done. And you know, we give you um, gratitude. We have gratitude in our hearts for all of that. And yet we've kind of left it at that level. Perhaps some of us are suffering from 
a vaccination against the Christian faith here today. Whatever it might be, God, that, that in each of our lives has kept us from this personal encounter with you or is keeping us, even if we've met you, from, from moving deeper into that relationship with you, would you just come and reveal it to us today? Would you just come and in your grace and in your power and in your truth, just show that to us today? And then, and then slowly, gently, but lovingly, would you break that down? Would you help move it aside? so that we can know you as you were meant to be known. Just as the Apostle Paul got to know you, just as I've gotten to know you and I'm getting to know you, just as so many in this room and so many across the world have gotten to know you, we're thankful for that. And we look forward to the opportunities that we have before us to live this life in relationship with you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.